Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Don't you want to go to that camp? I get to. Uh, Good morning. My name is Kevin Maurice. I'm the associate youth pastor here at Grace Covenant Church. And in the youth ministry, summer camp is something we look forward to all year long. It is an incredible experience. So if you're a student who's finishing sixth through 11th grade, we highly encourage you to go to camp. And if you're the parent of a student finishing sixth through 11th grade, just go ahead and sign your son or daughter up to go. It could be the best decision you make for them all summer because God really does amazing things at camp. Registration is now open, and if you sign up before June 17th, you will receive a discounted price. We never want financial issues to cause a student to miss camp, so scholarships are available. For more information, to request a scholarship, or if you have any questions, please stop by our table in the lobby after the service. Going to camp is one of my absolute favorite parts of the summer. But you know what else I like to do during the summertime? Watch movies. And for me, there is one quintessential summer movie. The Sandlot. Yeah, The Sandlot. Many of you have seen it. It's a summer movie about the summer. It's about childhood and growing up. It's about friendship and baseball. The movie, the story, revolves around Scott Smalls, a young boy who moves to a brand new city, and he becomes friends with his next-door neighbor, Benny. And Benny teaches him how to play baseball. He introduces him to a group of friends and teaches him how to be a part of a team. And so Smalls and Benny and this group of their nine friends, they play baseball all summer long in a sand lot. One day, the boys are in desperate need of a new baseball to play with, and Smalls knows where to get one. So he runs home, he sneaks into his stepdad's office, and he snatches a pristine baseball off of a small display case. He returns with the ball, and so naturally he gets the first at bat, and with a mighty swing, he hits a home run into a reclusive neighbor's backyard. The ball is apparently lost forever. And that's when Smalls realizes what it is that he's just done with his stepfather's baseball And it only gets worse from there. We gotta get that ball back. Oh, yeah, right. Good one, Small. Good one, Small. Hey, Sean, forget about it, man. Let's get another ball. No, you don't understand. Sure we do. You feel bad because you belted a homer, now we can't play no more. No, you don't understand. That wasn't my ball. What? What do you mean that wasn't your ball? It was my stepdad's. I stole it from his trophy room. It was a present or something. Somebody gave it to him, but we gotta get it back. He's gonna kill me! Listen to me, Smalls. It's the matter of life and death. Where did your old man get that ball? What? I don't know. Some lady gave it to him. Why? What? Yeah, she even signed her name on it. Some lady named Ruth. Baby Ruth. Baby Ruth! Ah! 
an autographed Babe Ruth baseball. What were you thinking, Smalls? You took a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth and you actually played with it? Don't you know how valuable it is? Not that you would ever sell it because it was signed by Babe Ruth. A baseball like that, it's not just important or to be treasured. It's more than that. To these boys, that ball is sacred. It's not just an ordinary ball. It's something more. The boy's reaction to the folly of Small's decision to play with an autographed baseball is one of the best moments of the movie. And it's the right reaction to be sure when someone treats something sacred in a common way. It's the correct reply to an ignorant view of the worth of that baseball. Theirs is the appropriate response when a baseball valued up to $247,000 is treated like just another ball. Because it's not like any other ball. That's the point. That baseball was special. That baseball is set apart. That baseball is sacred. In the Bible, the Apostle Peter, a man who walked alongside Jesus for three years, one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends, Peter has a very similar interaction with a group of people that he cares deeply about. You see, Peter knows what these people are worth that they are more valuable than they might believe. He knows that they are not ordinary, but that they are actually sacred. And so in the book of 1 Peter, he writes to them to tell this group of Christians, these believers, that they are not common. They are something more. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter, we'll be studying chapter 1, Verses 13 through 16. And starting in verse 13, Peter tells us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all that you do. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We'll come back to verses 13 through 15 in just a moment, but let's spend some time on those final words. Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy because God is holy. This word, holy, This is the attribute of God that stands out above the others. Of all of the adjectives that the Bible employs to describe who God is, again and again and again, the Bible tells us that God is holy, holy, holy. This is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times in a row. And from the first pages of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, the central concept that you will find in the Bible is that God is holy. It's who God is. And if you were to look in the Bible to learn more about the holiness of God, the place that you would want to turn is to the book of Leviticus. You see, this final line from 1 Peter 1.16, the passage, you shall be holy 
for I am holy, is a quote from Leviticus 20:26, where God says, you shall be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people to be mine. Leviticus is a book all about the holiness of God. In fact, the Hebrew word kodesh, the word that we translate as holy, is used 119 times in the book of Leviticus alone. God is called holy. Certain items used in the worship of God are labeled holy. And God tells his people that they too should be holy. And he even tells them why. The reason is simply this. Because you are mine. Because you belong to me, I want you to be like me. Be holy because I am holy. God says this in Leviticus. He repeats the command in 1 Peter. And because God is holy, he wants his people to be like him. Not common, not ordinary, something more. And so if this is such an important command, what does holiness mean? What is the definition of holiness? Because if you and I are are commanded by God to be holy, then we should know what holy means, right? To say that God is holy is to refer to who God is, the wholeness, the fullness, the allness of God. Holiness is perfection. It means absolute, without any failing or lacking of anything. Holiness can mean complete, meaning that God is undivided, undamaged, unbroken, perfectly perfect. And holiness is not just one aspect of God's character. It's all that he is in glorious unity. So it's not just that God is is loving and, and good or that God is pure and just. Holiness means that God is all that is loving, completely pure, perfectly just and good. From the book of Leviticus, another helpful definition of holy is separate or set apart for a reason. We might say sacred. So when we talk about God's holiness as separate, it does not mean separate as removed from, but rather separate as transcendent. This is the facet of God's holiness in which God is both above us and beyond us. We can't scale the heights of what it means to be God nor can we fathom the depth of all that he is. And because God is transcendent, even with these definitions in mind, we find that there is an indefinable quality to holiness. Try as we might, because we are human and because God is God, we can't fully comprehend holy. Think of it this way. Have you ever tried to describe something so vast, so astounding and just magnificent that mere words do no justice to the task? Have have you ever visited the Grand Canyon? Anybody? It's a great place to go in the summer. Have you witnessed the sun rise over the ridge of that canyon as the colors of the morning illuminate the rocks below? 
if you have, could your words recreate that moment for someone who wasn't there to experience it? This picture, as beautiful as it is, does it capture the feeling or the emotion of actually being there? No, of course not. It is but a fraction of that moment at best. Images and words, descriptions can never replace the real sense of it. As a songwriter once said, you should have seen that sunrise with your own eyes. And this is just a canyon. This is just a fragment of the natural world that God himself created. It's not even in the same realm of what it's like to try to describe God. But this is what happens when we attempt to put words to who God is and to explain his holiness. Because that which is indefinable will always transcend our ability to describe it. A holy God is profoundly unlike us. He is drastically different. He is transcendent and distinct in a special way. And God, because he is God, because he is holy, he can choose to make certain things holy. He can label them sacred or set apart for his purposes. And God makes this distinction between the holy and the ordinary. In Leviticus 10.10, God says this, you must distinguish or separate between what is holy and what is common. This is why certain items in the book of Leviticus are considered sacred. Because God says they are. And so in the Bible, you'll see that that's not just a regular old lampstand. No, that is a holy lampstand. Because God says so. It's his for his use. And the reason that God distinguishes between what is holy and what is ordinary, is so we don't treat what is his in a common manner. You can't play with that baseball. It was autographed by Babe Ruth. And you don't touch that lampstand with your human hands because that's God's. It belongs to him. It is sacred. That's why God can say that a lampstand is holy. Because it's his. And he says it is. And here's the truly amazing thing. This is the beautiful truth. God says this about us as well. He says to you and to me, be holy. He tells us that holiness is his plan for us. And and this is the plan since the very beginning. What humanity was created for in the Garden of Eden. We are supposed to be whole, complete, undamaged, set apart for God and God alone. This call to holiness was first given to Adam and Eve, the original assignment of the human race. Living in Eden, walking with God in the cool of the day, in this intimate expression of relationship. Because as human beings formed out of the dust, given life through divine breath, you and I are made in the image of God. 
And to be created in God's image means that we are made to mirror and reflect his character. This is the reason that we were created. It's the reason for our existence. And God wants us to be what he created us for. But because of the fall, since the inception of human sin, due to the inherent brokenness that now typifies each of us, we're not whole. We're not complete. We are not as we were made to be. That's why we talk about sin as brokenness, because something that was supposed to be is now no longer. And it's not just that we are are different than we should be. The situation of sin means that we are missing out on the holiness that God intended for our lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because what God tells us in his word is how to be set apart. God teaches us how to pursue holiness. He doesn't hide it from us. He doesn't try to have a shy away from it. He, He explains it to us right here in the Bible. In 1 Peter, God commands us to be holy. He says it twice. And if we read this passage again, we see how God calls us to holiness. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all that you do. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Scripture says to prepare our minds for action. Prepare your mind for action. Believe what is right so that you can do what is right. It all starts with how we think, what we believe about God and about ourselves. And verse 13 reminds us to set our hope, our thoughts, our beliefs fully on the grace of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That is where holiness begins, and that is what we have to believe. Because the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is that God makes us his own. He draws us into his family so that we can be his children. This is why God sent his son. It's the reason that Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect human life. Why he was arrested and beaten. The reason why he was crucified and died and why he rose again. This is the reason for the gospel. God did not save us out of pity. He came to save us because he created us to be holy because we are his. And now we can be holy because of what Christ has done. The only cure for our sin and our brokenness is the belief in and reliance upon a holy God who lacks nothing but who chose to rescue us and make us his. He paid for you. He paid a tremendous price, and now you're his. He has autographed his name 
on your heart. He has tattooed the word mine upon your soul. He has branded you with the mark of the cross because you belong to him. And now that we've been adopted into God's family, the Bible tells us to live as obedient children. God invites us into a life of holiness. And because he is holy, God gets to tell us what to be. God's desire is to make his children holy ones. The word saint, that's actually what it means, holy one. And as children of God, to be a holy one means that we have to learn to believe what is right and to ignore our former ignorance, as 1 Peter says. Because ignorant thinking would have us settle for less than what God desires for our lives. Ignorance leads us to think of and to treat ourselves as anything less than sacred. And so the words that we speak, our thoughts and our actions, the way that we spend our time and our money, the way we treat other people, these are direct reflections of what we believe. If you believe that something is ordinary or common, you will treat it that way. If you think it's just a baseball, you'll play with it in the dirt and use it for batting practice. But that's not just a baseball. It's an autographed baseball. Babe Ruth signed it. And now because of his signature, it is set apart. Why is a baseball like that being played with in a dirty, sandy lot? If you think that they're just ordinary utensils and, and everyday plates, you're fine with your daughter playing with them in the backyard making mud pies. But they're not just old, dirty plates. That's the fine china and the crystal stemware that was passed down to you by your great-grandmother. You would tell your daughter, no, that belongs to us. That's ours. It has the family name branded on the back. You don't just play with that in the mud. Don't you know the value of that? In other words, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? If you don't understand the value of something, you're prone to treat it cheaply. And because of what Christ has done, the Bible tells us that we don't belong to ourselves, that we are valuable because we were bought at a price that we are worth something because God purchased us. This is why it's so important to believe what is true. Because if we belong to God, we are anything but common or ordinary. But if you don't understand that, or if you don't believe it, if you choose to believe ignorant thinking instead, you will never pursue holiness. To continue living as less than you are worth is ignorant because we are something more. We belong to God and he says to be holy. Scripture tells us to believe what is true and then in light of that belief to live as obedient children. First Peter says, let go of your former ignorance and now be holy. Holy. 
That's how this passage outlines holiness. Believe in holiness and then be holy in all that you do. God makes us his children through Christ. And he's in the process of making us more and more like himself. A holy God, he can't change his nature, but he can absolutely change ours. So how is God asking you to change? What is that area of your life where you are still bound to ignorant beliefs? Is there a choice that you are making that is simply not appropriate for a holy child of God? Are you trapped by a sin or are you choosing to sin because you don't believe what is true about you? What's a nice guy like you doing in a place like this? Why are you returning that flirting smile? Why would you take that second glance? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know and understand to whom you belong? God's asking, why would you continue to entertain that thought any longer? You don't belong to you. You're mine. Or maybe you're still holding on to this derogatory name or these critical words that were spoken about you when you were a child or just this morning. And, and those words, that name hissing in your ears, feeding this ignorant belief, does it cause you to treat your body and your soul as if they were just ordinary? Because God looks at that same body and that same soul and says, I bought those. They're mine. They belong to me. And no matter what you think about them, I call them sacred because of what I paid for you. So would you stop thinking of and treating yourself as if you were anything less than you really are? When we grasp the truth that God is holy and we believe that we belong to him, it will lead us to ask, am I treating this body and this soul as I should? Am I living my life in a way that is set apart for God and God alone or am I just resorting to what is ordinary and common? Because every decision that we make, it can either lead us closer to holiness or further away from it. And so what will you choose? God says, be holy. An easy error to make after hearing this command is to think that God wants us to be legalist or moralist, that to be holy means that we must act self-righteously and, and be good enough for God. But that's not what the Bible teaches us, and it's not what God is saying. The truth is this. We are made righteous only because of what Christ has done. And you are sacred solely because God says you are. And if you know that, if you really believe it, then the way that you treat what a holy God owns, what he wrote his name on, it'll change. How you live your life will be different. Because God's plan 
for your life is holiness. God's purpose for his children is that they would be like him. God's desire is for you to be you. And the great paradox, the way that God works with us, the more that we get that which we currently call ourselves out of the way, and the more that we let God's holiness take over, the more truly ourselves we really become. God's holiness isn't going to make you into somebody else. His holiness is going to make you, you. The you that you were created to be. More like yourself than you could imagine. To close our time today, I'd like to read the words of a poem. And if you would, please just listen to these words and reflect on this truth. That God purchased you at a tremendous price. And now you are his. You are sacred because he says you are. If I had a spell of magic, I would make this enchantment for you. A burgundy, heart-shaped medallion with a window that you could look through. So that when all of the mirrors are angry, with your faults and all you must do, you could peek through that heart-shaped medallion and see you from my point of view. If you could look at the brand that God himself engraved on your life, if you could just see yourself with the signature of Jesus Christ on your soul, you would see you from God's point of view. Be holy because God is holy, because you are his. Please join me in prayer. God, we come before you this morning humbled by who you are. Father, you are holy and you are perfect. You're greater than our words could ever describe. And God, we know that you love us that you chose to save us, that you paid the ultimate price to make us yours. Help us to put all of our trust in you. And God, remind us that we belong to you and that your desire is to make us holy. And so when we're tempted to think of or to, to treat ourselves as anything less than that, draw us back to the truth. God, draw us back to the gospel. Father, we thank you for everything that you've given us. And as we observe Memorial Day tomorrow, uh, we're thankful that we live in a country where we can worship and pray freely. And God, we pray that we would look to you for our strength, for comfort, and for guidance. Father, thank you again for your son. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.